it comes down for me for quality of life. I bet you I can hang on a long time. I bet you I can be around to just just hassle people for a while. I've pulled off 10 months when most people would have been dead long before now. So I'm going moment to moment. I'm going, I can live through this. I can live through that. I'll live through the next one. Just keep throwing at me. The, the issue is when do you get tired? When do you decide the fight isn't worth, isn't matching up to your quality of life? In late December 2007, Patrick Swayze, the lithe and charismatic leading man from Dirty Dancing and Ghost, was filming the pilot episode for a new television drama series on A&E called The Beast. The 55-year-old actor was excited about the new project, which allowed him to flex some different acting muscles to play a middle-aged FBI agent who uses controversial techniques to bring criminals to justice. He was sort of a complicated anti-hero, which fit in perfectly with the age of prestige television that was in full bloom around this time. The character was something of a departure for Swayze, who found huge fame playing the dreamy, tough-but-sensitive leading man roles. But this was vintage Swayze, never one to rest on his natural good looks. He always took on challenging roles that pushed the envelope and broadened his acting abilities, instead of just settling for a bunch of fat paychecks and forgettable rom-coms. Shortly after filming wrapped on the pilot, Swayze and his wife of 32 years, Lisa Niemi, were visiting some friends in Aspen when Swayze fell ill with a serious gastrointestinal problem. He'd been having some digestive issues, mostly acid reflux and some bloating, for a few weeks, but the actor thought nothing of it as he'd always had a sensitive stomach. But this was different. While toasting with friends, Patrick took a swig of champagne and nearly choked, saying it burned like acid and adding, quote, it felt like I drunk lye. Still, he didn't think much of it and carried on with the evening. Just three weeks later, in January 2008, the actor learned that the burning in his stomach wasn't just minor irritation, but rather the result of a blockage of his bile ducts, caused by stage 4 pancreatic cancer, one of the most deadly and untreatable cancers you can get. His doctor told him that his chances of surviving for more than a few months weren't high. But rather than wallow in self-pity, the actor mustered a new resolve, telling his doctor, show me where the enemy is and I will fight him. And that's exactly what he did, going to Stanford University Medical Center for chemotherapy and treatment with an experimental drug called Vitalinib, which was supposed to cut off the blood supply to the tumor in his pancreas. And initially, he seemed to be responding well to the treatment. By early May 2008, Swayze underwent surgery to remove part of his stomach after the cancer had spread, but just a month later, Swayze reportedly said, my treatments are working and I'm winning the battle. He even did an interview with Barbara Walters, a portion of which was played at the top of this podcast and which originally aired in January 2009. And during the interview, Swayze admitted there was a tiny little mass on his liver, but insisted he was kicking it. But despite his optimism, the actor was indeed losing his battle. On January 9th, 2009, Swayze was hospitalized with pneumonia, but released a week later to rest at home. And on April 19th, doctors informed him that the cancer had metastasized further in his liver. A final picture of Patrick Swayze made the rounds on the internet shortly thereafter, showing just how skeletally thin he'd become from the disease and the aggressive treatments. Just a few months later on September 14th, and just 20 months after his initial diagnoses, Swayze died at his ranch in Silmar, California. He was just 57 years old. I'm Derek Kaufman. I'm Jason Beckerman. And this is Last Days, Patrick Swayze. By most accounts, Swayze passed away peacefully at his so-called Rancho Bizarro home, surrounded by friends and family. Although he was reportedly upset about the pictures that circulated before his death, showing how the cancer had ravaged his once muscular dancer's physique, it seemed as though the actor had passed with dignity. 
His body was cremated and the ashes were scattered in New Mexico. Shortly thereafter, however, rumors began to circulate online about the final months of his life, which painted a much more troubling and sad picture, and much of the controversy came from an unlikely source, his wife of 34 years, Lisa Niemi. Before jumping into the allegations, it's necessary to give their relationship a bit of context. Swayze and Niemi met in 1970 at a dance studio run by Patrick's mother when Patrick was just 18 and Lisa was just 14. The couple married in 1975 but never had any children, but painted a beautiful picture of lasting love and companionship. Here's Lisa from a recent Today Show interview talking about how the couple met and fell in love. Well, you know, we had such an unlikely start because we were both very cautious because he had this reputation of being a Casanova and they thought I was this quiet bad girl. And, <laughs> you know, the, our first contact was he reached over and pitched me on the butt and said, hey, cutie. <laughs> what I'm did like, you oh, say? brother. But I tell you what, we, uh, but needless to say, we went out with each other <laughs> of anyway, course. despite each other's reputations and, and grew to know each other. And actually for us, you know, as off our reputations were, yeah. I think it was because we were all, both a little different from everybody else. And we kind of understood that about each other. And we ended up falling in love. That's really a meet cute from a different era, isn't it? It really is. It's your so first meeting is he reaches out and pinches your butt without consent. And she was excited and about it. And she was excited about it. <laughs> yes. It's a meet cute from a different era. In a 2008 interview, Patrick said that Niemi was even the inspiration for his hit song from the Dirty Dancing soundtrack, She's Like the Wind. They shared many of the same interests. Both were FAA licensed pilots and enjoyed raising horses on their ranches in California, Nevada, and New Mexico. Yeah, they were a very well-known couple in Hollywood because of the longevity of their relationship. And it truly, from all outside appearances, seemed like a, a love story. You Especially know? when it, it happens when he's playing the romantic leading man that every girl wants and he kind of, you know, a bit promiscuous in his movie roles. To then juxtapose that against a, by all accounts, by all outward accounts, you know, a 34-year lasting marriage, it seems at odds. It, people question it, maybe, or, or are happy for them in their success. Yeah, happy but noteworthy. We think right. of leading men as kind of Casanovas right. about town, and that wasn't Patrick Swayze's reputation, which is what made the allegations that would surface after his death so bizarre. An anonymous source claiming to be an old family friend alleged that Patrick's wife, Lisa, had actually abused and neglected Patrick while his primary caregiver, Patrick brother, Donnie Swayze, was away on a trip. The accusations were very, very upsetting. Lisa was accused of beating him and letting him sit in filthy clothes. The source said Lisa would claw at Patrick's neck and arms and slap and punch him during their knockdown, drag-out fights, even while he was weakened by the cancer. There were also allegations of infidelity on Lisa's part and accusations that Lisa would ban visitors to the home, including Patrick's mother, Patsy. Now, the situation with Patrick's mother was very, very complicated because Lisa has always maintained publicly that Patrick had been physically abused as a child for many years until his father intervened on Patrick's behalf on his 18th birthday. Patsy uh, passed away in September 2013 at the age of 86, but had denied these allegations before then. The source said the situation was so bad that Patrick would often wait until his wife fell asleep at around 2 a.m. to call friends and families secretively. It's important to remember, however, that this anonymous source and these stories that surfaced, he never revealed his identity, who the source was. So you have to take these things with a grain of salt. And for her part, Lisa adamantly denied the claim. She said it's categorically untrue and it is that simple. And she would do interviews like the one you just heard to really set the record straight about their relationship. We can only tell what we can tell from objective sources. And one of them is that they remained together for 34 years. 
Obviously, some of the time at the very end was spent, he was very, very sick, but there were decades together when they were both fully healthy. And can you draw from that that there was some happiness in the relationship and there wasn't this abuse going on? You would think you can draw something from it, but you don't really know. 34-year marriages are long and complicated. Your <laughs> marriage isn't that long. My marriage is only, you know, 11 years. And I can tell you it's complicated. And, you know, the abuse allegations are beyond the pale, but relationships can be messy. And it's particularly long ones. There's a type of companionship and level of interaction that from outsiders can seem sort of troubling at times and maybe not be that troubling between the couple the fact of the matter is she denied it. The allegations never really went anywhere beyond that anonymous source. But I did feel compelled to mention that it somewhat marred the aftermath of Swayze's death. Yeah, I remember it being very shocking when these allegations came out. And you, But uh, like we do now, like we're saying now, didn't really know what to do with them because they were, there was no face behind the accusation. It was something that was floating in the wind without much behind it. So you don't really know what to do with that. Lisa eventually remarried a jeweler by the name of Albert DePrisco in 2014, five years after Swayze's death. But although Lisa found love again, she maintains that love coexists alongside her enduring love for Patrick. You know, I, I fell in love with Albert. I said, you know, it's really weird because I it doesn't conflict with the love that I still have for Patrick. And just because somebody's gone doesn't mean you fall out of love. And uh, my wise friend said that's because love comes from the same well. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was a really <laughs> wonderful thing to say. Now, Lisa also faced some criticism in 2017 when she ended up selling off a bunch of Patrick Swayze's memorabilia, including the iconic leather jacket he wore in Dirty Dancing, which fetched $63,000, a surfboard from Point Break, and even a shirt from the movie Ghost. She said it was difficult, but part of her process of letting go of the past. Uh, Swayze's niece, however was very upset over the auction. She said these were, you know, priceless family heirlooms. It was a slap in the face that she was selling away these precious memories. You know, it's unfortunate to see these this sort of nasty squabbling, and I don't want to read too much into it, but I did want to sort of lay out that Lisa, while she's done these interviews and certainly had a 34-year relationship, she's a complicated figure publicly because of some of these things. It's objectively true. She I, sold the heirlooms. I, I, I don't but, even understand the criticism. It's, yeah. it's, it's her property. It's she, hers. she wants and needs the money for whatever purpose. Uh, the idea that she owes it to... I don't know, to, to, to humankind, to movie going public, to hold this leather jacket. I, I just don't, I, I don't even understand the argument that she, if she can make what she thinks is a good amount of money off of this, that she shouldn't take it and enjoy her life or give it to charity or give it to her, her kids when she passes. All these things are fine. It, it's hers to do with what she wants. I, I think that's true. It's also true of the fact that uh, she sold Rancho Bizarro to a philanthropist named Eileen Getty. Um, and that also ignored a last minute request to convert the property into a museum. But to your point, she was under no obligation to to erect a, a museum in Patrick Swayze's honor. It's very easy for people on the sidelines to yeah. have all these ambitions. This should be in his honor. You shouldn't monetize it. It was also her home. Human beings are so fantastic at spending other people's money. Yes. It's, we know exactly what other people should do with their money. When it's ourselves, we might sell the leather jacket. Right. But somebody else, they, they should hold on yeah, to tisk, it. Yeah, tisk tisk. Yeah, right. Notwithstanding the controversies that followed his death, most people today remember the remarkably unique career of Patrick Swayze. During his 30-year acting career on the big screen, very few actors before or since brought the same combination of smoldering charisma, ruggedness, matinee idol looks, genuine acting chops, and nearly unrivaled dance skills as Patrick Swayze. 
He was born in Houston in 1952. His mother was a dance instructor and choreographer and his father an engineer. His all-American handsomeness is due in part to him being quite literally from a family that dates back to the Puritans in New England. The Swayze family was on a ship called the Recovery that sailed into Massachusetts Bay colonies in the 1620s. Yeah, I learned about this. He wasn't on the Mayflower, but they were on another but ship was on that the, was like right alongside it called the Recovery. Right, the Mayflower may have just been pulling out of port when the Recovery <laughs> came in. The real differentiator in the early part of Swayze's career was his dancing ability. He first appeared in dance review called Disney on Parade in the late 1970s before landing the role of Danny Zuko in the long-running production of Grease. Yeah, Jason, if there's one sort of comparison, because I was thinking a lot about Patrick Swayze as I was preparing for this episode, who's he like? Because Patrick Swayze is not only a good-looking actor and leading man, but what separated him was that You're going Travolta, ability. aren't you? And That's I thought Travolta. Yeah. Do, don't you think of those? And it was interesting to learn that he played the role of Danny Zuko that helped launch John yeah. Travolta's career in the movie Grease, and they're kind of similar figures. I they're, think they're, they're different physically. Travolta's a really big dude, yes. and, and Swayze was a tiny Live. guy. Yes. Right. But other than that, yeah, their careers are somewhat similar. They both play tough guys in movies. But they uh, can do song and dance. But they can do song and dance. Right. They're real sort of artistic renaissance guys. Swayze bounced around Hollywood for a while with small roles in TV shows. He pops up in an episode of MASH in 1981. But his big break came when he was cast as the older brother of C. Thomas Howell and Rob Lowe in The Outsiders in 1983. He then starred in Red Dawn, a cult classic about a group of teenagers in a fictional dystopian future leading a rebellion in Soviet-occupied Colorado. It was in Red Dawn that he was first paired with a young starlet named Jennifer Grey, who was a Hollywood kid. Her dad played an important role in the movie Cabaret and poised for her own breakout. Let, let me ask you before we move on from this. Red Dawn and The Outsiders, yep. you're a, a man of a certain generation. These were cult <laughs> objects, weren't well, they? they were the, outside, the Outsiders is in a class by itself in terms of the popularity among young people for a movie. I mean, you know, Barbie's a very different movie, but sure. uh, but the that was based on a, a really famous novel by S.E. Hinton that was huge among young people. And Had the, a young Tom Cruise in The Outsiders? Well, a young Tom Cruise and Ralph Macchio and C. Thomas Howell and Patrick Swayze and Matt Dillon and so many other actors who went on to phenomenal and almost legendary, in the case of Cruise, obviously, legendary Hollywood career, careers. But we didn't know those actors. What we knew was this is a book that every single 13-year-old had read right. when this movie came out. And the the buzz for it and the the anticipation for this movie was like nothing I, I don't remember having seen before it. Um, and, and he's so, part of that lineage because, as you said, yes. the cast is so star-studded. It's all before they were mega famous. But yep. virtually everyone in that movie went on to have a pretty great career. Yeah. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast... Then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, and Walmart, and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. So download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's Rakuten. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. 
So he also mentioned that he met Jennifer Grey on the set of Red Dawn, another big movie from that era, but the breakout for both of them would obviously come a few years later in 1987 in the smash hit Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing's story is legendary in Hollywood. It was a low-budget movie. It was originally intended to spend just one week in theaters before moving over to VHS. It cost $4.5 million to make. It ends up bringing in $214 million Adjusted at the box for inflation, office. we're talking $750, $850, something like Probably that. somewhere in that range. One of the most profitable movies in Hollywood history. And it really is, when you think about it, a very low-budget production. It's sort of campy in its own way. But the movie really stands up today. It's just sort of a perfect encapsulation of what Patrick Swayze's talents were. You know, he's dreamy, a little mysterious in the lead role as Johnny Castle, who's a dance instructor at an upscale resort in the Catskills in the 60s. And he introduces a young ingenue, Francis Baby Houseman, to a secret dirty dancing scene for the resort staff. And who can forget this line? Nobody puts baby in a corner. Look, the movie's sort of a ridiculous conceit, and it could have always been perceived as kind of creepy because Patrick Swayze in the movie is this older dance instructor, and she's very young. She's there with her parents. Uh, she's 17 years old. It was a different time, and there's a lot of adult themes. There's you know a whole subplot about abortion and, and such, but it just works. Uh, the, the dancing is incredible. It's sort of undeniable. If you watch Dirty Dancing, you're, you're riveted because he's so incredibly charismatic and she's just sort of following it along there. He's lifting her up in the, in the water as they're practicing the dance scenes and so forth. And on top of the acting and dancing, Swayze showed off his singing talent. You know, there's a very popular song you mentioned called She's Like the Wind that became a top 10 hit on the Billboard charts following the phenomenal success of the movie. She's like the wind through my tree. She rides the night next to me. This is just like classic soft rock for me. I, I love that song. Uh, Swayze ended up even getting a Golden Globe nomination, and he suddenly found himself in very high demand and quickly released another sleeper hit as bouncer James Dalton in Roadhouse. So after Dirty Dancing and Roadhouse, Swayze is really becoming a brand name in Hollywood. His career was about to enter the stratosphere with two huge hits in the 1990s. First, he played Sam Wheat opposite Demi Moore in the 1990 romance thriller Ghost. Ghost was an absolute sensation, Derek. I know we, we both remember this well. It went on to become the highest grossing film of 1990 with $505 million at the box office against a $22 million budget, getting nominated for Best Picture and even scoring an Oscar for eventual EGOT winner Whoopi Goldberg, who played a charlatan psychic named Otome Brown who can suddenly actually communicate with real ghost. Of course, the movie is best remembered for its most iconic scene where Swayze and Moore share a romantic moment with a pottery wheel to the Righteous Brothers hit, Unchained Melody. What are you doing? I couldn't sleep. Oh yeah. You must have passed out. What time is it? Next, he played surfer slash bank robber Bodhi in the 1991 Catherine Bigelow crime action movie Point Break. Keanu Reeves plays the part of Johnny Utah, a straight-laced FBI agent who infiltrates a gang of bank-robbing surfers in president's masks, led by Swayze's character. It's pure adrenaline. This is uh, set in the mold of the entire Fast and Furious franchise, and Reeves would say later that he attributed a lot of the success of the movie to Swayze's full immersion in the thrill-seeking element of the role. Maybe even a little bit more than producers were comfortable with. 
pretty famous stories coming out of this. I mean, Patrick, during the course of, of Point Break, started to skydive. And he started to bring everyone in the tribe, in his tribe from the movie Skydiving. So they're all like not working and they're jumping out of airplanes. And eventually production gave Patrick Swayze a cease and desist because he jumped out of airplanes. <laughs> and they're like, no, we're making a movie. Yeah, I love that story. Keanu's told it a couple times. He was so immersed in being Bodie, the like bad boy of the surf world that he, he just kept skydiving. And the production was like, we can't ensure this movie if you're skydiving with all of the people and the crew all the time. So Swayze capped off all of it by becoming People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive in 1991, as if he was poised to compete with the likes of Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt for the rest of his career. But what's interesting is Swayze sort of chose a different path. He, he started taking some chances with his newfound leverage in Hollywood and continued to challenge himself artistically. In 1995, he starred as a drag queen with Wesley Snipes and John Leguizamo in Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. It's a road trip movie and has become somewhat of a cult classic. It, it feels when you watch it, I don't know if you've seen it, Jason, it, yeah. it, it feels a, a bit ahead of its time. And it was sort of a courageous move for Swayze to subvert and almost parody his leading man image to make this fun romp about drag queens. Now this wouldn't, this would be sort of par for the course as a movie to do and sort of challenge yourself. But in the early nineties, you know, leading men who were always playing sort of strapping, good looking, rugged guys wouldn't do this. It was Patrick Swayze sort of carving out this niche. You wouldn't see there Brad was this sort of Tom Cruise cross-dressing era in, uh, you know, in Hollywood, we got bosom buddies, a television show. You have Tootsie comes along. That's right. This was a few years after that, but nevertheless, I think there was this, this through line but you never saw the biggest star in the world sort of step forward and and play this kind of role. Yeah, he's coming off of Ghost, which made yeah. five hundred million dollars at the box office, and he's you know doing pottery with Demi Moore. And then his decision is, you know what? I could keep doing rom coms and said I'm going to do this road trip movie with drag queens. I I, I thought, always thought it was interesting. It sort of made him different. Um, in 2001, he appeared in the indie classic Donnie Darko, which basically launched the career of Jake Gyllenhaal at the time. Swayze played a motivational speaker who's later revealed to be a closeted pedophile, not exactly a likable role, um, but again, showing his his willingness to take on controversial roles rather than just cash in on his status. So he's becoming, again, one of the biggest stars in the world at this time, or he has by this point, but his one true love was dance. In 2003, he got back to his roots by co-producing and starring in a movie called One Last Dance alongside his wife, Lisa. It was a passion project that wasn't super lucrative, but marked a return to what made him famous in the first place. From there, Swayze starred in London's West End production of Guys and Dolls in 2006, and in 2008, he released his final film entitled Powder Blue, playing an aging rock star alongside his brother, Don Swayze. So I wanted to pause here and talk about what would have happened to Patrick Swayze. I mean, he was already kind of a legend. And, yep. and the reason we tracked the 20-month battle with cancer was because his status was cemented. Patrick Swayze was Patrick Swayze. He really didn't need to make another movie to prove himself in the industry at all. But where do you think it was heading before the cancer diagnosis? In this case, we have a bit of a clearer answer because he had just filmed the pilot episode of The Beast, which I mentioned at the top of this podcast, where he played that anti-hero in an FBI crime drama. And I think the television landscape is now littered with anti-heroes. I mean, it's easy to imagine Swayze, whose willingness to sort of stretch himself as an actor and, and not uh, have to appear like the handsome, leading, courageous man, 
would have done really well in this era. He would have, you know, continued to push himself and maybe played some more interesting characters and things like Breaking Bad and and, yeah. and, and projects like that. I could imagine Swayze easily transitioning. The, the to other that possibility, mode. of course, is that he sticks with what he loves. He's now, you know, super rich and doesn't need to do anything else to prove himself or to make money. So may, maybe the idea would be he would really lean into the dance background that he had and start making movies that appeal to that side of him. They're not going to be successful, right? The days of Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly are over. We're not going right. to have huge dance movies that are going to lead the box office. So La La Land, you know, something you pointed out, that that's that was an exception, but it had a, da- a real dance thing. Sure. It would have been a little old for the role at the time. <laughs> I don't think you would have been uh, dancing with but he, Robin. But that may have been the direction that he had headed, sort of Sorry, maybe on Broadway, doing a lot, you, know, you can do a lot of dancing on Broadway or making movies that really appeal to, to that side of him. I mean, you know, you, you just don't know, but the, the the reality is that he had reached a point in his career that he could have done basically whatever he wanted from that point forward. I mean, he would be an aging star now and you're confined to a certain number of roles, I suppose. But look at Tom and, Cruise. But look at Tom Cruise. More yeah. relevant than ever. You know, Swayze still might have had that gear in him to have one last resurgence, but, you know, unfortunately we'll never know. Swayze's career touched a lot of different lives, from Jennifer Grey to Keanu Reeves to Demi Moore and many others who have spoken out about him in the years since his death. But Whoopi Goldberg, who worked with Swayze on Ghost, was in the unique position of processing the loss in real time as host of The View at the time of his death. And she shared the news of his passing on the program back in 2009 and gave a touching and very personal tribute to her friend Zest for Life. And I thought she deserved the final word here. This was a well-fought battle. Patrick fought like the Dickens to survive it or to get through it. He'd never thought of himself as someone who was dying because, as he said to another good friend of mine, he said, you know, we're all dying. And so his attitude was, until it kills me, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. So this was his attitude. And I have to say, I, I, I hope whenever... It comes for me that I same because he worked up until the last minute. He worked. He did his his show. He he just was a cat that never gave up. And I and I I'm, I would like to be able to be that. I would like to have that bravery. Yeah.